message today. Um, I love speaking. I love the microphone. But I really feel very unequipped to speak most times. Um, history was my worst subject. It still is. And because I struggle to understand the context of uh, scripture, I feel like I should be the last one up here. Um, I just don't have the best biblical knowledge sometimes, but I really felt like today God wanted me to share a part of my testimony. And as I wrote this message up, I struggled all week with just crazy thoughts, you know. Uh, You're so full of yourself. This is your pride coming out. You just always talk about you and people don't want to hear. And how many times are you going to say the same thing over again? And it has been a, a struggle mentally this week. But at our prayer partner breakfast, for those of you who are part of the prayer partner ministry. Rabbi Carol shared um, a scripture, and I just took that as confirmation. If you guys remember, she spoke on, uh, very quickly, Revelation 12, where it says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So today, I'm going to present to you the word of God as best as I can, and a little bit of my testimony. And I really do believe that whether it's for somebody in this room today or somebody listening on podcast, that there's going to be a breakthrough as a result of that because that's who God is. So if you would join me in prayer because I'm shaking in my boots up here and I'm not sure why, I haven't been able to stop crying. So let's, uh, let's just pray and pray that God has a message for you and that he would be able to use me through that. Amen? Amen. Amen. So God, I just... I lift up this message to you, and I pray that you would be able to uh, use me as best as as you can and allow me to open my mouth to speak your words. You know everything that's on uh, these pages here, God. You know exactly what needs to come out, and you also know what I don't need to say. And I trust that you will be able to use me to speak your word and to bring freedom in this place today. And I trust... Uh, And ask humbly, Lord, that you would uh, just guide me through your Ruach for words of life in this place. In the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen. Amen. So today is the last part of our series, Free at Last. Uh, The passage of scripture that was contained, uh, that contained the four promises of Adonai was in Shemot, Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. And over the last four weeks, we've been going over the four promises that Adonai made here. So a little recap and summary. Rabbi Carroll spoke on the first promise uh, during the first week, which was the promise to release, and that was correlated to the cup of sanctification. And she spoke about being released from our sin and shackles and how God desires to take us out of our bondage. The second week, Rabbi Michael spoke on the second promise, the promise to rescue, and correlated that to the cup of deliverance. The third week was the third promise where Rabbi Carroll spoke on the promise to redeem, tied to the cup of redemption, and spoke on Yeshua being our kingsman redeemer. And Rabbi Carroll shared how the first two promises are of where God wants to take us out of, and the last two promises are of where God wants to take us into. So today is the last part of our series, Free at Last, and I'm going to be speaking on verses 7 through 8. I do not have a PowerPoint, so the scriptures, you're just going to have to follow along if you can, or I'll just read them and I'll read slow. So verses 7 and 8 of Exodus chapter 6 says, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Verses 7 and 8 are tied to the fourth cup, which is the cup of praise and the cup of hope. It's the fourth and the final promise, and it's the promise to restore. And today, as we cover the final promise, I want to review what I believe to be a part of what God wants to restore in your life today. So let's go over the context of the passage and understand where we are here in Exodus. Okay, the Israelites were in slavery and bondage for over 400 years. They were longing for freedom from the oppression that they suffered at the hands of the Egyptians, and their slavery was brutal. It was one of great burden, one of great pain, one of great brutality, and a lot of suffering. 
In Exodus chapter 3.16, Adonai summons Moshe and says to Moshe, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and seen what, you, what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So after some hesitation, right, if you read through the book of, is it, you can, yeah, that's fine. If you read through the book of Exodus, Moshe takes a little convincing, right? I can't go, I can't speak, I'm of slow speech. You sure it's me that should go? You know, what should I say when they send me and what name do I use? So Moshe needed a little convincing, a lot of convincing. So after that hesitation, he goes before Pharaoh with the message from Adonai. And the response of Pharaoh was to have the Israelites make brick without providing them the straw and keeping the daily quota of bricks the same. So in other words, things get much worse for them. The foremen of the people of Israel were beaten. They were flogged after Moshe came. And the hearts of the people and of Moshe and Aharon were discouraged. Their reaction is listed in Exodus 5. This is the form and the leaders of the people of Israel. They say, may Adonai look at you and judge you accordingly because you have made us utterly abhorrent in the view of Pharaoh and his servants. You have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Moshe returned to Adonai and said, Adonai, why have you treated these people so terribly? What has been the value of sending me? For ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has dealt terribly with this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. And this is where, immediately after Moshe says this, what is the point of you sending me? You told me to come with the message to set my people free. I did exactly that, and now everything is worse than it was before. And this is where Adonai lists his four promises. In Exodus chapter 6, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. So the Israelites were suffering in slavery. Moshe and Aharon came with the message. Things got worse. And then God says, I promise to release you, to rescue you, to redeem you, and to restore you. So today we're going to talk about where God wants to restore you. As we jump into that final promise, I want to go over the definition of restore. It means to give back or to return, to put back into existence or use, to bring back or put back into a former or original state, or to put again in possession of something. Today, I believe God wants to bring restoration into our lives on several different levels and in several different areas. But I really believe he wants to start with our personal relationship with him. I believe he wants to put our relationship with him back to its original state, the way that he always designed it and intended it to be, to return us to our first love and bring us back into that existence of his love for us and our love for him. The first part of that last promise says, I will take you... To me for a people. I did some research, and here in this passage of scripture where Adonai is saying, I will take you, the Hebrew for I will take you is lech lecha. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. It's the same Hebrew as Deuteronomy 4.20, where it says, But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. And the article I read describes this taking is an intimate taking, a taking of deep covenant and commitment. 
The word is used of a man taking his wife in marriage. I take you to be my wife, to love, to honor, to cherish. So we see that example of the same Hebrew being used in Deuteronomy 25.5. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and no one has... And has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside to the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. So the Hebrew is the same as I will take you to be my people as he says a man is to take his wife. I believe today in this season God wants to restore the truth of your value to him. Too often, our value in God is stolen away, misconstrued, or diminished. And today, I believe he wants to set the record straight and let you know how deeply valued and loved you are to him. When Adonai says, I will take you as my people, he is saying, I'm going to take you as my own. His words are describing the extent of his love, passion, desire, and concern for his people. Why is this important to understand take and, and the Hebrew meaning behind it? Because when we're suffering, we tend to question our value in God. So think about it. If you're the Israelites and you're in Egypt and you have suffered under slavery for 400 years and you're crying out to God, it's a natural reaction to sit there and say, how can I be loved and valued if God is not here to answer me or to deliver me? When Moshe was sent to Israel, there was a sense of relief initially when Moshe said, God heard your cry. In Exodus 4, it says, Moshe and Aharon went together to all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before them, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Because at that point, they understood, wow, God does care. Look, Moses and Aaron are here, and they have a a message of hope and deliverance. He does care. He did hear us all these years, and he does care for me. But that didn't last too long because things didn't go immediately how they were supposed to go, right? The grip that Pharaoh had on the people got tighter, things got worse, and they got discouraged again. And we see this pattern often with the children of Israel and often with ourselves, when our circumstances and situations tend to be bad and to be desperate, we tend to get angry and shake our fists in God and say, where are you? What are you doing? And why haven't you rescued me? And at the root of that is, why don't you care enough about me? Why don't you love me enough to have saved me from this? Why has it taken 400 years? Oh, now they came and we have hope and we're bowing down and worshiping and the message comes and now we see people being beaten and flogged and now we have to make all these bricks without any straw. Don't you care? Our situations and circumstances oftentimes causes us to question Our value to God. Even Moshe. Why have you treated these people so terribly? Why are you doing this, God? Why have you treated these people so terribly? Don't you care? Do you hear the heart and the frustration? Where is their value in your sight? Why have you failed them? He goes on to say, and you haven't rescued your people at all. You're not here, God. Are we not worth your intervention? 400 years, it seems as if you've abandoned us, forsaken us. Are we not loved enough? Are we not good enough? Are we not valued enough? And if we're honest, sometimes we do the same thing. In our deepest pain... In our darkest struggles, we do the same thing with God. How many times have I cried out, God, on this situation? God, when this happened, where were you and why did I have to suffer this at your hand? God, why am I walking through this darkness when I've been serving you and I've been praying to you and I've been faithful to you and you're not here? Don't you care? 
God, don't you see that I have been longing for this for years and it still hasn't come? Where are you, God? Where is my value? Where is my worth? Why am I not loved enough for your hand in my life? Life is hard. Life is unfair. And there are wounds and brokenness in this room and in the world that cause us to question our value to God. I don't know your wounds. I don't know the wounds of the people that we interact with, whether they're wounds from abuse, whether sexual, physical, emotional, spiritual. I don't know if it was because parents neglected you or abandoned you, family members who may have harmed you, people who betrayed you, situations that caused you deep pain and struggle, divorce or adultery that has broken you or divided your family, family division that has hurt you or strained relationships, children with sicknesses, family members taken too early in life, disease or addictions that plague you, your family or your loved ones, depression or anxiety that has haunted you or your family, whatever the area of bondage that the enemy has come in, in those times, sometimes we can sit there and say, am I loved? Do you love me, God? Do I have value in you that I had to walk through this? You see, because Hasatan uses those times, the times of darkness, to whisper a very powerful lie. God's not here because he doesn't love you. And you know why he says that? Because if you can walk in the power and the knowledge of the love of God, life is different. Not when you walk in the knowledge and in the religion of God. When you walk in the power that the God of the universe loves you, you will change the world. Through his power. So in your darkest times, in your deepest pain, whether it was from 20 years ago or yesterday, the enemy will be right there to say, where was God? He doesn't love you. You're not worth it because if he did, you would not have suffered that pain. He would have come through for you. He would have delivered you. He would have protected you. He would have stopped it. And because he didn't, you're not loved. He doesn't love you. I grew up, I was raised to know God. As a young child, I was much like my son Jeremiah. I was always with the worship songs. I was always talking about God. I remember one time I came home and, you know, I watched my mom at service and she was praying in tongues and I started mimicking her. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm praying in tongues. She laughed too. It was funny. I remember being so young. I had a personal relationship with him. I remember going to bed at night and praying. I don't know why... God really must have had, you know, a purpose for my life. But even in middle school, I remember all my friends who were Jewish, and I was like, oh, Lord, I pray for Stacy because I know she doesn't believe in you, Yeshua. And I just, I always had a heart. I had a real relationship with God at a young age. And that soon began to change when I had a very trusted family member who violated me with an inappropriate and unwelcome touch. And it was a person I cherished dearly, a very strong relationship. And I'm going to tell you, my life spun out of control. I lived in a home where I feared daily interaction with this person. Let me clarify, it was not my father. I carried this secret for years, and it ate away at me for years. And soon that innocent, awesome relationship with God that I had turned into anger. Why did you let that happen, God? Where were you during that time? Why did you not rescue me or save me? If you're a good God and you're a loving God and everything that my mom is throwing in my face all those years, God loves you, God loves you, all I could say, no, he doesn't. Because if he's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-sovereign and everything that you say that he is, then that would never have happened to me. And my anger grew and my life spiraled down into darkness. I correlated my suffering with the hands of God. And I believed the lie that God didn't care enough about me to help me. And I believed that I carried no value and no worth in the sight of God. 
But that wasn't the truth. And I want to bring truth into this place today. You see, the truth that I learned brought me freedom. It brought the children of Israel freedom. And I believe with all my heart it's going to bring freedom today. You see, the truth is you are so valued and so loved that God allowed his son to suffer and die on our behalf. We are in the position of being children of the king of kings. See, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the all-loving God loves me. He loves me, and he loves you. He has an amazing plan and purpose for our life. And the truth is, the enemy knows that. The enemy knows how much God loves you more than maybe you know how much God loves you. And the enemy knew in my life how much God loved me. And let me tell you, I don't stand here under any circumstances in a cockiness or in in pride. But I'm going to tell you something. The enemy knew the destiny that God had over my life. He knew it. And he cut me off at my knees before I could even start, or so he tried. Look at this scripture in Exodus chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt. He knew nothing about Yosef, but said to his people, Look, the descendants of Israel have become a people too numerous and too powerful for us. Come, let's use wisdom in dealing with them. Otherwise, they'll continue to multiply, and in the event of war, they might ally themselves with our enemies, fight against us, and leave the land altogether. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built for Pharaoh the storage cities of Petom and Ramesses. Look at these people. Look at how numerous and powerful they can be. We can't allow them to walk in that power. So let me put them in bondage. And that's what the enemy does. Look at this person. Look at Rena. Look at the destiny that Adonai has over her. Look at how Lucia is raising her to know God at a young age. Look at what that would mean for the kingdom of God if she continues If she then marries one day and has children, and now there's more people who are serving God. Look at what would happen if all of her excitement and all this is used for the kingdom of light. We can't let that happen. So let me put her in bondage and in slavery to keep her from living her destiny and the power that she can walk in with God. And again, that story is multiplied by many of us in this room. Replace Rena's name with your name. Look at Myrna and Gary. Look at Raylin and Miles. Look at Chris and Wayne. Look at the power that they have when they can walk as a family united with the power of God. Look at how that's going to transform their family, their community, their co-workers, their lives. Look at what could be done. I can't let that happen. So I'm going to come and I'm going to do something bad in their life because every good thing comes from who? God. So if it's bad, did it come from God? No. So I'm going to do something bad in their life, and then I'm going to say, it was God. God let that happen. God doesn't love you. God failed you. God forsaken you. And your value and your worth diminishes. And the power that God wants to use in you by showing you how much he loves you so you can go out into the dark world and tell other people how much he loves them is broken because now we're in bondage and slavery to the lie that we don't have that value in God. It took a while to understand the truth, but the truth is I always had value to God. Always. God didn't bring that into my life. God is the one who restored me. God is the one who healed me. And God is the one who said, you always had value before me. 
That is the truth. And that is the truth that I believe with all my heart. Again, whether it's in this room or you hand this CD to somebody, that I believe he really wants to say, I want to restore the truth to you. You always had value in my sight. I've always loved you. Before you even conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. I created you. I love you. You have a purpose and value before me. To be free at last, to walk in that love. Not to be a people, does God love you? Yes, we all shake our head. But to walk in knowing that love and experiencing that love of God. You're so loved. So when he says, I will take you as my people, he's using this imagery of marriage to show the depth of that love. The intimacy, the personal knowledge that he wants to have with you. I don't know everyone's story here. I know where I suffered. I know how that affected my worth. I don't know where your struggle is. I don't know, like we talked over the past couple years, if it's the area of sin. The enemy is going to be the first person to tempt you with sin, to set a trap for you, to watch you fall in it, and then to point the finger and say, oh, that was all your fault, and there's no way that God could love you. I won't stay here long because the rabbis covered in their first couple of messages, but there is no sin that God is not going to forgive. Do not allow the enemy in your weaknesses, in your failures, in the worst things that you think that you committed before God to let the enemy lie to you and say that you have lost your value because of it. That is the furthest thing from the truth. God extends his hand of love and forgiveness to you. Maybe you're like me and you suffered something in life that caused you to question your value and your worth. Maybe there are different situations to cause you to question your love to God. An unanswered prayer, an unanswered desire. Maybe you're in this room and you say, I don't question my value to God. God loves me. I know it. I walk with it. Me and God are like this. We're tight. And you know what I would say to that? Praise God. But look at your surroundings. Who do you work with? When you go to the grocery store and you see that young person who's just nasty. Or like I went to work the other day and I was making my salad and I stretched over somebody's food that I didn't even realize. And boy, did she snap at me. And I was ready to be like, I didn't know that your food was there. Why are you yelling at me? But all these people who carry such anger and who are so nasty to you and so rude to you and your coworkers who make your life absolutely miserable. You want to know why? They don't know the love of God. And you don't know what has caused their anger. You don't know what happened in their life. You don't know what lie that they're believing. So when we encounter these people, and you can say, I know the love of God, share that love with the person who's angry. I was nothing but an angry, rude teenager. You did not want to know me. I was nasty. Ask Chris and Wayne. They shared dinner with my mom's house. I was up in their face all the time. But I was hurt, and I was longing for truth and couldn't grasp it because of the lie. So maybe you need to hear this message today because there's somebody in your life that just needs to know the love of God through you. I don't know every detail, but I know the enemy will try and take away your value and your worth. His message is the same, but his methods are different. He'll work differently in everybody's life. Sickness, disease, discouragement, bondage, sin, doesn't matter. His message, though, is always to lie to you and diminish your value. So today, God wants to tell you how loved you are and restore that truth to you. The second part of the last promise says, I will be your God. Verse 6, it says, Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am Adonai. I will free you from the forced labor of the Egyptians, rescue you from their oppressions, redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. From the article I read, the author states, God's purpose in the Exodus was to declare to the world and to the Egyptians and to his own people that he alone is God. He would prove to the Egyptians that he alone is God by triumphing over them. But he would be to God 
He would be God to his own people in an intimate and personal way. Yes, by displaying his power and might over Egypt, but also by dwelling among them and being in relationship with them. He goes on to say how that was everything that God wanted was to dwell with us. Exodus 29:45, I will dwell among the people of Israel and be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord they God, their God. He goes on to say knowing God is part of the new covenant promise. Jeremiah 24:7, and I will give them a heart to know me. They shall be their people, I will be their God. Ezekiel 37:23. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places where they have sinned, and I will cleanse them so that they will be my people and I will be their God. Hebrews 8.10, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. I believe God wants to restore the truth of who he is to us. So he doesn't want to just tell you your value and your worth, but he wants to tell you who he really is and wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know he was the God who never left you or abandoned you. And he wants to walk in a relationship of passion and desire and love with you. You see, he declared his might and power... But then he says, I want you, my people, to know me personally, intimately. There's one thing about knowing someone, and then there's knowing someone. So many in this room know my husband, Evan. Hi, Evan. You know he's my husband. If you don't, that's my husband, Evan, over there. We have some new people here today. He does play the bass, though he also sings. If you know him long enough, you know he's a pretty funny guy. Chris heard that, and during worship practice today, we're upstairs praying. I just hear Evan doing weird voices on the microphone. If you know him, you know that he's a father. You can watch his interaction with the children. You can know his hair color. You know where he works if you know him, right? He works up at Stony Brook. You know him. But most of you don't know him like I know him. See, I know his struggles. I know the things that cause him to weep. I know what he fears in life. I know the extent to which he goes to hold himself accountable to being a good husband and a father. I know the generational issues that plague his family and prove to be a challenge to him. I know that my husband grew up without a father figure in his house and how his heart hurts for children who are abandoned by their fathers. I know his desire to be used by God and to fulfill his destiny. I know his likes and his dislikes. I know he hates when I interrupt him. I know he loves to watch and and sit and watch a good movie. I know that he can iron very well. I know that he can cook fairly well most times. I know that he makes really good voices. I know how he interacts with people. I know him differently then you know him because I'm in a relationship with him. So when God is saying, I want to take you as my people and I want to be your God, that you know me, he is saying, I want you to know me differently than the world knows me. I want you to walk with me. I want you to know about me. I want you to experience me. I want you to know when my heart weeps and when my heart rejoices. I want you to know when I weep for you and when I rejoice for you. I want you to experience that. I want you to hear my voice, listen to my voice, follow my voice, walk with me in relationship. Know me differently than just know me or know about me. And oftentimes, again, that's distorted or twisted because when the enemy comes to lie, he lies about who God is. Well, God's not a healer. 
Look at this situation. God's not a deliverer. Look at this situation. God's not your provider. Look at this situation. So the children of Israel in slavery, they can say the same thing. We don't have value because you're not here for us. And you can't be all powerful, all knowing and the deliverer because we're not delivered. So God is saying today, I want you to know who you are and restore that truth to you. But I want you to know who I am and restore that truth to you. When I first started coming to the congregation, I suffered from migraines. They were brutal. I was 10 years old, skipping school, vomiting, going to the hospital. They were giving me meds that made me sleep the whole day. It was, it was horrible. Migraines are no joke. I mean, it was unbelievable pain. I would go into a dark room, put blindfold, ice on. Horrible. And I remember I came here one day for service, and I had a migraine. I was a very new believer if I even, I mean, I don't even know at that point if I would recommitted my heart to God. And my mom's like, oh, why don't you go to Rabbi Michael for prayer? And I remember being like, if you guys are listening on the podcast, I just rolled my eyes. At that point, I was like, prayer? I really need like Advil or Excedrin and my blindfold and ice and a dark room. But I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go for prayer. And Rabbi Michael prayed for me, and I went home and went to sleep. Let me tell you something. I have never suffered that way from a migraine since that point. And why do I say that? Because if I say, oh, God, you're healer. Oh, we all not. But God was my healer. Now I know God to be a healer because I experience God in my life. God's our provider. When I was young and single and living at home and working full time, I listened to my dad and he said, save your money. So I saved my money. And somebody needed to borrow money from me, and it was a good amount of money. It was like $2,000. And I was, you know, I'm living at home. What do I pay for? Nothing. My mom cooks for me. I have a car, you know. So I was like, yeah, you, you could borrow it. No problem. And the person was good for it. This is my family member. You can let family borrow money. So I let them borrow the money. And then all of a sudden, the congregation came up with uh, the congregational Israel trip. And I was like, oh, I don't have to worry about it because the person is going to pay me back. So when it's time to pay for the, you know, the trip, I'll just say, hey, do you have my, my money back? No big deal. So all of a sudden, I was in my devotions, and I was reading, and I came across this verse, and it says, and you will forgive the claims on their money, their grain, their new wine, and their olive oil. And I'm telling you, like that, I heard God say, don't ask for the money back. Release them from their debt. And I was like, uh, that's my money for Israel. Clear as day, I'm telling you. And it doesn't happen often. I always struggle. That's why sometimes I'm like, how can I preach? Do I really hear the voice of God? I'm not sure. Was it me? Was it the enemy? Is it? But clear as day, I read that, and it was God saying, don't take that money back. Release them from their debt. And I was like, okay. Well, how am I going to go to Israel? So I did. I called the person in, and I said, listen, God's telling me to release you from the debt. And they're like, how are you going to go to Israel? I said, I don't know. But if he's telling me to do it, i got to trust that there's a reason why. So they're like, okay, you sure? I say, yeah, I'm sure. You sure, sure? I said, well, stop. No, but yes. (laughs) So I released him from the debt, and, you know, we would have these meetings here, the itinerary for Israel, and it was like, oh, the deadline is this, and the deadline is that. And I would go to God. I'm like, God, the deadline is this, the deadline. And I think it was a couple days beforehand, I'm like, I mean, I know I'm single, but $2,000 in a short amount of time, that's a lot of money. I was making, what, seven-something an hour back then, minimum wage, many years ago. And I remember going, like, I don't know, God. And maybe two or three days before the final deposit was due or the initial deposit, something, I remember being pulled aside and somebody saying, your trip is covered. It's covered. I got you. And I was like, and this wasn't family member, you know? Your trip is covered. And I was like, my trip is covered. And I was more excited. Let me tell you. I was more excited that God told me to do something that was crazy, that I was able to listen to it, and that he came through for it because that was a personal interaction that I had with him. And now I know God's my provider. So when it's time to, you know, give a tithe and offering and life is different now because I'm not single and living at home and now I have, like, real life stuff, a mortgage and 
Not a car payment because we paid that off, but we have bills and two kids and, you know, our maintenance fees and all that stuff. And when there's not $2,000 sitting in the bank account like it was when I was single, I could say, God's my provider. Because I was walking in a personal relationship with him. So here, when he's going to the children of Israel and he's saying, I'm going to take you as my people and I will be to you a God. It's all about a relationship. I want to tell you how much you're worth, but I want you to know me. To be your healer, your provider, your deliverer. That's his desire, to restore us to that place. Some of us, we've never accepted that. You're like where I was. I don't want anything to know about God, don't want to hear about it. So he wants to restore who he is the way it was always meant to be. That's where he wants to bring you. Others of us, whether it's a situation that snuffed that out of your life, or maybe just life itself, we've grown cold from that first love. We're here and we do stuff because we know we want to and we'll never walk away from God. But you don't know him the way you did when you first walked with him. Your love has grown cold or lukewarm. So he wants to restore you to that place when when you're reading his word. You're not just, I'm supposed to read because I have to read, check. You're like, God just spoke to me from his word. God, when I was reading that... He just reminded me of how much he loved me. Wow, I'm reading that, and I know that he's going to come through in this situation. Wow, in this situation, I believe that God's my provider. Look what he just did. Look at how he answered this prayer. That's his desire for you, to know him, to walk with him. We were always meant to be in relationship with God. The final aspect of the four promise, the fourth promise of restoration is found in verse 8. I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as your inheritance. I am Adonai. I will bring you into the land. You see, Adonai not only wanted to restore the truth of the value that his people had and the truth of who he was, but he wanted to restore their physical situations and circumstances. Pause on that. He doesn't just stop by saying, oh, I love you, and I'm a good God. He finishes by saying, now watch and see what I'm going to do. I love you. And I'm a good God. Now watch and see how I'm going to restore your situation. He took the children of Israel out of Egypt. They left and they were no longer slaves. And they left and they plundered the Egyptians. Exodus 12. The Israelites did as Moshe instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. They were free, and free at last. They indeed experienced the depth of their value to God. They understood and they experienced God's power and his might, and how he demonstrated that through the plagues. But they also experienced a restoration of their circumstances because they weren't left as slaves in Egypt. God brought them out and brought them out of that land to restore them into the nation that he desired them to be. Think on that. We're living today at a time that we see our people in possession of the land that he promised them. And though there is a final fulfillment of this promise to be found in Yeshua the Messiah for our people and for the land of Israel, we now hope and know that that will be fulfilled in Yeshua. You see, just as he brought his people out of slavery and into the land, he will fulfill his promise to all of Israel, for all of Israel to be saved. The hope and expectation of Israel being totally restored through Messiah is the hope and expectation that we can have. 
And so for us here today, there are real situations and circumstances that are in desperate need of restoration. So whether it's relationships or your health or your marriage or your children and their salvation or the state of your heart and your spirit, whether it's your emotions or your finances or your pain and your wounds or your loved ones or your sins and your mistakes, all these areas that the enemy has kept you shackled and and bondage, God's saying, I'm here to restore the situation as well. You see, I love you, I'm good, and I'm going to bring change to that situation. I'm going to restore it. So for us today, God doesn't just stop at saying, oh, I love you and oh, I'm good. He declares that he will heal your wounds. He declares that the sorrow that you experienced will be turned into shouts of joy. He declares that he will restore relationships. He declares that he will restore marriages. He declares that he will take what the enemy has brought to bring division and change it into unity and peace. He declares he will bring healing to your body. He declares that he will bring salvation to your loved ones. He will set you free from addictions or generational curses or bad habits. He declares that he will break depression or anxiety off of your life and bring you into a place of joy and rejoicing. He declares victory over the areas of your life where there has been bondage and slavery. He declares freedom for you today. He brought the children of Israel into the promised land. He took them out and changed their situation and restored them to the nation that they were always called to be. And he desires today for whatever situation or circumstance you face that you have to bring restoration in that circumstance today. Every area that the enemy has come to kill, to steal, and to restore, to destroy, God will restore. Where the enemy meant to kill, God will bring life and life abundantly. Where the enemy meant to steal, God will multiply. And where the enemy meant to destroy, God will repair and restore. God will repair and restore. I'm going to call the worship team up now. I'm going to give you a little heads up. No, my husband has to pass off my ruling to somebody. This fourth promise here is this high to cut here. In Passover, which is the fourth cup, and it's the cup of praise and the cup of hope. As we're in the Passover season today, God extends hope to each of us today. He desires to bring restoration into your life. So today, in this season, I believe there's going to be great shouts of joy. He wants to restore your value in him. He wants to restore your value in his desire to restore the truth of how dearly loved. The truth of how always were to him. Always are to him. And always will be to him. And always will be to him. Today he desires for you to walk with him. Today he desires for you to walk with him. Know him personally. To know the relationship. To know everything about him. To know everything about him. Today he desires to restore, restore your situations and your circumstances. And like I said, I don't know everything that's represented in this room. But God does. But God does. God knows then he sees it. I've seen the wound I've 
restore your heart, restore your value, to restore who I am, to do in your life, and to restore your situation, to restore your and to bring life when there was death, to bring life to bring freedom when there was bondage, to bring freedom when there was bondage. God says today, His desire is for you to be free at last, free to be loved by Him, free to be I don't want to attention, but I'm sure it's all just 